Um, as I was pondering for today's uh, preach, I found myself really uh, thinking about the first time I ran a marathon. It was, um, it was 2021. I'd never done anything remotely like it before. I think the standard kind of prep time for that type of race is about three months. And I'd done my work, you know, put the training in, set myself a target. And I was thinking, look, if I could clock around four hours, I'd probably be pretty happy. Now, I, now I guess there's, um, there's like a, little, a lot of unknowns when it comes to trying something new. And I felt probably within the scope of understanding that I had that I was probably going to be okay. On the day of the race, we rocked up at Wimborne St. Giles, which is actually not too far from here. I have family and friends with me. And um, I'd let them know that you, you'll probably see me at mile 12 at this time, and I should probably reach the last leg of the race around this time. So as I made my way to the start, I was, um, I was picturing them, them all at the finish line. And I had my, also had my mind on a massive burger that I was going to eat afterwards. And so the race began. Well, at mile 12, I was actually pretty much on target. But my body was starting to give me a few signs. It, it began to start hurting, and uh, that felt unusual. I hadn't really experienced that in my training, and so I thought that was just the, maybe the impact of the event, maybe a little bit of adrenaline. What I didn't really think about was, you know, due to COVID, they'd actually moved the location of what was supposed to be a, a new forest marathon, a race that was predominantly on road with some off-road running, some trail running. What I was running at Wimborne St. Giles was actually all trail running. Long grass, rough terrain, farmer's fields, and I hadn't really accounted for the impact that was going to have on my muscles. At mile 16, I just cramped so badly that I collapsed in a heap. And I don't know if, if anyone's like had cramp, like really bad cramp, but you know, as you're trying to straighten, my, my, my calf had gone right up behind my knee, and I was trying to straighten this one, I would get cramp in another part of my body. And all that it looked like in the end was I'm just kind of rolling around on the floor like some sort of hurt hedgehog. <laughs> and as I realized, began to realize how bad the state I was, I just began to cry. <laughs> and I knew, um, I had in my mind, my wife and children, they were waiting for me at a particular time, and now I knew I wasn't going to make it. I was going to make it. And it genuinely felt horrible. And if you were running past me, it probably looked horrible. <laughs> I'll tell you what, just on a side note, there's nothing more humbling than thinking that you're feeling quite fit when at you know, mile 16, 80-year-old Dave comes running past you. Okay. There's lots of fit people out in this world. However, nonetheless, despite my battered ego probably and uh, my hurting body I was determined to finish and when I did see my family it was just probably the best sight in the world I was prepared in one way and completely unprepared for what I was going simultaneously unprepared for what I was going to encounter it was so much harder than I ever thought and yet it was equally satisfying to get the job done even if it was a whole hour later than I'd hoped I now pass that medal every time I come through the front door, by the way. That is my, take a glance to the left, boom, done. 
Thanks very much. Good morning, everyone. If you don't know me, my name is Paul. I have the privilege of leading the team that oversees New Life Community Church. And today, um, we're looking really at the final subject of our current series of what it is to be devoted disciples of Jesus. So you, if you've missed any of these messages, let me encourage you to catch up. You can do via the church's um, podcast on Spotify, because actually we're carrying this aspiration together to springboard into 2024 as a church family who are disciples of Jesus, who are devoted to him. Devoted to him through the word and through prayer, through relationship and service and in growth. And finally today, we're going to look at what it is to be devoted to this area of mission. Or as I've slightly tweaked the title, being devoted to getting it done. If you have your Bibles, can we turn to Matthew 28? Be a well-known scripture to a lot of you. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. doesn't matter how many times you read this, it's just as significant now as it was then. 18, and Jesus came to them, came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So, Father, we just want to thank you for your words. And I pray, Lord God, now that, Father, you would uh, take that, which is living and active, and, Father, let it cut through right to our heart, Lord. Bring about transformation, Lord, and send us out of this place, changed to the glory of your name. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I I wanted to start really by... um, Looking at the difference between vision and mission, I think that's probably quite helpful. Vision is really all about seeing ahead. It's being able to look down the road beyond what's immediately in front of you and see something of the end destination. Mission is all about making it happen. It's the practical steps to ensure you reach the destination. It's about getting the stuff done. You know, God, he has a vision an end destination in mind, and it centers around gathering a people unto himself, a people who are devoted to him and he to them, where a beautiful relationship between creator and creation eternally exists. Now, that's something of God's vision. The mission is all about getting it done, and we have a part to play in that mission. Now, our whole series really has been what it is to be a devoted disciple of Jesus. And in this scripture, Jesus commissions his disciples to go about the business of making more disciples. And so we're going to look at what that means for us as disciples of Jesus to be devoted to this mission to making more disciples. And we'll do that by covering really three areas. The mission to your neighbor, the mission to your family, and the mission that we have to the nations. However, just before we do, I do want to remind us what it is to be part 
of a loving uh, relationship. You know, God calls us into a loving relationship with him. And a loving relationship is where both parties are invested. Both are committed to serving one another and blessing one another. Both are committed to laboring together, to working alongside one another. It's a team thing. And last week, we looked at how relationship with only one party invested is actually no relationship at all. And that works, of course, both ways. So as we look at this area of mission for us as disciples, it's important to remember that we're not on our own in this. This is ultimately God's vision. It's his heart, and he's the first one willing to do the legwork. The beauty of being children adopted into his family that, is that we get caught up into where the family is already going. Loving relationship just means that we get that invitation to invest as well, to be part of, to bless, and to co-labor with God. And so as we look at this mission we carry from Christ, it's, from, it's important to remember that God's commitment alongside ours to go about the business of making disciples of all nations, starting with the mission to your neighbor. So neighboring is all about close proximity for those who like being in close proximity with people. It's about those interactions we have within those, our field of view. For example, uh, when we think neighbor, we probably, our thoughts might lean to the person who lives or the people that live next door to us in our street. I mean, I literally grew up watching a TV series called Neighbours. I mean, who knew? I mean, who knew there would be so much popularity surrounding a show that was literally about relationships between people who lived in different houses on the same street? In Luke 10, a lawyer asked Jesus this question, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus, he takes that opportunity to unpack what our, our neighbor really looks like. That it looks like really any person on a daily basis that we're in close proximity to. So it's not just about the person next door. It's not just about family or the people that you get on with. It can be about the people that we don't know. It can be about those we may even consider as enemies. And Jesus really challenges us to love them despite the difficulties that may present. So here we are talking about loving our neighbor through our faithful commitment to mission. And so for the, just for the sake of definition, when it comes to mis- the mission of making disciples, I would like to define our neighbor as anyone in close proximity who has yet to make that decision to follow Jesus. They can be friends. You can even now be thinking of those people that you love, people who are family, people who are strangers. They could even be enemies. So before we dive into what it is that we can do, let's begin by looking at God's heart and what he can do in all of this. So our God is a God who in 1 Timothy 2.4 desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And Paul goes on to describe what that truth is. What is that truth? That there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. What Jesus gave was birthed out of a great love that God has for his own creation, a love that he has for all. 
irrespective of who they are and what they might have done. Now, when you're in a loving relationship, this is what I'm hoping is happening, okay, guys? If you're in a loving relationship, you carry the heart of the other. And so we as Christians, we carry the heart of God into those neighboring relationships. In our human nature, we may actually really wrestle with loving some people. And it, I'm going to honestly poll, does anyone really wrestle with loving some people? Okay. Okay. But the Spirit of God at work within us can help us to see a person not just where they are and who they are now, but who they can be in Christ. That is, I think, the, the beauty of what Jesus does when he, he sees Peter or he sees Matthew. He doesn't see Peter as he is, fisherman. He doesn't see Matthew as a cheating tax collector. He sees him right there and there. He sees right through to the end of who they're going to be in Christ. And God is at work doing his part. He has already gone before us and accomplished something that we could have never achieved ourselves. Through the gift of his son, he's, he's made a way for anyone to begin a loving relationship with him. He's made a way for the past sinful ways of our lives to be dealt with and forgotten. He's made a way for new life to begin and to be carried through to an eternity with him. And he's always actively at work calling people to himself. Whether that's the example we discover in the Gospels of Jesus going from village to village, calling to those around him to come follow him. Or when we read of the ascended Jesus stopping a man called Saul, dead in his tracks by speaking directly to him. There is a um, precious moment in Scripture where God begins to call out to a young man called Samuel. Calling him by name. And Samuel, at the time, he has no idea that it's God who's calling out to him. In fact, it takes another man of experience to help Samuel understand that it's God who's speaking and how he should respond. There's a good chance there are people in this room who can testify to knowing God speaking directly to them, calling them out from the life that they were living into new life with him. And what we do in playing our part is actually really quite simple. As the body of Jesus, in loving relationship with him, we join with Jesus in going from place to place, from village to village, from home to work, from play dates to family gatherings, from the poor to the rich. We are joining with Jesus in making that call to those around us to come follow him. It's an invitational thing. Interesting, we're talking about our Christmas services. It's an invitation to come and see what life is like with Jesus. That's what Jesus called out. Come and see what life with me is like. Like the power, this is the scattergun approach. Like the power of the sower. Our part really is to keep scattering seeds of invitation into our neighbors' lives. That's how we love them in mission. Come, let me show you something different. And that's why we try to embrace an invitational culture here as part of this church family. To show that we can all play our part in that mission to our neighbor. Now, God is at work calling people to himself. He's committed to doing his part. However, one of the key ways in which he calls people to himself is through his church, through you and I. In the, way that, in the same way that God can speak to us prophetically through the voice of one 
of another, he can call someone out of a life that they are currently living in into a new life with him. Are you joining in that mission of invitation? Are you joining Jesus in that mission? Are you inviting others to come see something different? Are you, here's a key question, excluding some because you find it difficult to see beyond who they are now? And if that is you, would you ask Jesus to help you see them as they could be in Christ? Let's look at our our mission to family. So I'm defining family as brothers and sisters in Christ, okay? That's the wonderful part of the inheritance that you receive when you give yourself to following Jesus. God adopts you as his own. You become part of his family, and therefore you inherit millions of brothers and sisters across the world who belong to Jesus. And you have a mission to them as well. When we started this series, we looked at a disciple, a defining a disciple as someone who responds to that call to follow, expects, expects change to happen, and recognizes it's a journey. So in the same way that God plays his part in calling people to himself, he will do the same when it comes to transformation and journey. Last week, we looked at what it is to be a disciple who's devoted to growth. And we recognize that change whether we like it or not, is part of our Christian journey. Our destination is to be a spiritually mature people who bear the image and likeness of Jesus. And so as new creations in Christ, we begin this journey from infancy through to maturity to grow up in every way that is pleasing to God. And God is committed to us in that growth. He deposits his Holy Spirit within you to help lead you and direct you, to comfort you and to reveal to you. He has given us his living and active word, the Bible to help us grow in knowledge and in practice. And he has also given us people, those who are committed to helping one another to grow. They're called the church, the family of God. The mission to your neighbor, that's all about helping people to embark on a journey. That's an invitation to come and see. Once that journey begins, there's now a whole road ahead that's in front of them. They have a race that they now have to run. And that can, I don't know, you know, when you're embarking on something like that, it can be both thrilling and terrifying. It's a new adventure, yet it's unknown territory. And in our mission to make disciples, we are to help those embarking on this journey. We have a mission to our family. Now, the wonderful thing is, is that in this room and across a whole church family, we've got a plethora of people with different levels of experience when it comes to following Jesus, all the way from people who have been like running for a long time through to people who have only just started. And whether, wherever you are at in that journey, I want you to see the part that you can play in helping others in theirs. Like when Eli helps Samuel to understand God's voice. No one, no one's got it all sorted. We all need each other to help run well. Some experience may bring more to the table than others, and that's okay. For those who are young and experienced, soak all of that up. Let it add to what you're doing. One day, you're going to be the one who's bringing that experience as well. It's actually my, my great privilege at the moment to watch my daughter play football for Downton under-15s. And I was, um, I was really reminded in the first games that um, 
she played about the kind of like the level of new information that she has to constantly process as part of her learning. In a match, so much is happening. I remember um, sharing with her, really by means actually of trying to alleviate some of the pressure she was putting on herself, that in those early developmental stages, it's really difficult to give your attention beyond the immediate skills required. You know, once you master those basic foundations of like ball control and technique and delivery, once those are kind of like committed to your muscle memory, and you're not really having to think too much about those things, you can start then giving yourself to other things, such as positioning on the pitch and reading the game and when to work your socks off and when to catch a breather. All of those things come with like time and practice. <clears throat> so I remember in, in my early days of playing football, the value of having veteran players in the team. That's a nice way of saying old people. Okay. Guys who have been around the game for a long time. These were the guys who would instruct me during the game, you know, give me pointers to work on in my spare time, encourage me when I made a mistake, and sometimes, sometimes yell at me when I wasn't doing enough. And I think the important thing is that veterans are so experienced that they were capable of not just keeping an eye on their own game, but also helping me in my game as well. And that's what it is to run a race together, to do this journey with Jesus together, that blend of experience and non-experience coming together to help navigate this adventure. When I was a young player, I, I did used to run around like a headless chicken. There's, and you'll find that with like people young in their faith. There is a fresh energy that comes from those new believers, those young in their faith. It may lack a bit of direction at times. That's what veterans are there for. Help provide direction. In a similar way, there is something incredibly safe and secure about those who have journeyed for a long time, collected a few scars, jarred up a little bit of wisdom, still carry this wonderful, seasoned passion for God. Young believers, I encourage you, draw from that. Soak it in, because what, it will serve you for the road ahead. And just one biblical example before we uh, move on to look at our mission to the nations. In the book of Acts, we encounter a chap called Apollos. And the scripture really hails him, holds him in high regard, you know, as an eloquent man, competent in scriptures. He was, uh, it says, passionately intense in spirit. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what the translation of that is, you know, probably, um, you know, uh, it wasn't afraid of an argument or two, I think probably is what that lands as. But he spoke and taught accurately concerning Jesus and in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, he highlights Apostle, uh, sorry, Apollos, he highlights him actually in the same light as the other apostles, holds him in that high regard. Now, with all that he had to offer, this is this lovely little moment where you have a seasoned couple in the church called Priscilla and Aquila, and they draw alongside Apollos, and despite all his gifting, there are still things that he needs to grow in. And the scripture says that they explain to him the way of God more accurately. With all the gifting that Apollos carried, there's still room for growth. And it's a lovely thing to see this example of a couple just drawing alongside to take opportunity to invest in this man's journey of following Jesus. This mission that we have to make disciples of all nations, it includes the way that we 
draw alongside brothers and sisters in Christ to help them grow and develop on their journey. So in that time, they can give their attention, you know, at the time, at the right time, they can give their attention beyond the basics, get to all the way that way they can support others. And that's a race that we're running together. And it's a race that we're, you know, is to remain at home, but it's also to push out, to go out to the nations. I don't know um, what you, sometimes we can catch like sweeping patterns throughout scripture. We'll talk about the blessing, the blessing of God. It's not to remain where it is, but it is to go out. The blessing of God is not to remain where it is, but it is to go out. God's mandate to um, Adam and Eve was to not to hold on to what they had been given, but to take what they had, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. This relationship with God, along with the responsibility they carried, was to be reproduced and shared in order that others may partake in the joy of what they had. God's blessing over Abraham and Sarah was not just limited in meeting their desire to be parents, but was intended to overflow as a blessing that would come through their offspring to the nations. God blessed Abraham to be a blessing. God's blessing over Joseph was not just to keep the nation of Egypt well-fed and stocked through a severe time of famine, but God planned through him an overflow of blessing or provision for the surrounding nations as well. And the blessing of God is not to remain where it is, but it is to go out. God blesses you in order that you may be a blessing to others. And the trajectory of that blessing is to go all the way to the ends of the earth, to reach every nation. Acts 1.8 says, you know, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This was so that disciples of Jesus would be reproduced and what they had, this relationship with God, would be shared in order that others may partake in their joy. God has a vision to have a people unto himself. That's the destination. And the destination of that vision, we can catch, we can capture it in Revelation. Chapter 7, 9 to 10, it says, And a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We have been blessed in order that we may be a blessing. And that blessing is not to, re- remain, it's not to remain with us. Even here we think if God's blessed us in this church family it's not to remain here it's meant to go out. It's meant to spill out. God carries a great heart for the nations. And therefore, as loving ones, as ones in loving relationship with him, so should we. We carry the heart of the one we're invested in. And we have a part to play to take that mission to neighbors, take that mission to church family, that mission to make disciples. We're to be fruitful in that way and multiply and fill the earth. Now, what that looks like in practice to make disciples of all nations can be that can be administered on on different levels you know we we see in scripture just different examples of that if we take what jesus says about the trajectory of the church in acts 
that movement of witnesses from Jerusalem, which geographically increases really from where it is into Judea and Samaria, we could say that might look like the church, you know, establishing itself in Fordingbridge and then looking to the next neighboring town to build something there. And then we would see this kind of geographical increase of the church that starts in one place then moves out, increasing its sphere of influence. However, with that in mind, we also see Peter preach the first gospel message in the church in early church in Acts 2. And we understand that at that time, there were people gathered from every nation in Jerusalem under heaven. And in response to Peter's message and conviction through the Holy Spirit, you get 3,000 people added to the church in that day. So you would have had people from every nation under heaven carrying the good news that they had received back to their home nation. So you can go out to the nations by having the nations come to you. That's the story of Joseph, isn't it? You know, that's the, the blessing went out to the surrounding nations because the nations had come to him. And that's the testimony of my friend Eustace, and for anyone who knows Eustace. He joined the army to get out of his home nation of Ghana. And he gave his life to Jesus here in the UK and then felt the call of God upon him and his family to return back to Ghana. And that's where he is now, leading Grace Community Church and making disciples. I guess the other scenario we see is when you get someone like the Apostle Paul, you know, he receives a distinct calling to go out to the surrounding nations of Greece and Italy and full intention to go to Spain. You know, I guess we you know, other examples are that, like people like Hudson Taylor, who felt like a distinct calling to go to China. Either way, I think my wholehearted intention is to lift up our eyes to see not only our commitment to our neighbor, not only our commitment to our church family, but also to carry God's heart and therefore mission-minded commitment to the nations. Whether that's through the, us working out from where we are, village, one village or town at a time, whether that's through the nations coming to us, or whether that's through a distinct call to go to other nations, God's commitment is to the ends of the earth, and we have the joy of playing our part in that. Okay, so as we look to kind of bring this all together, let's talk about what God is doing. Let's talk about the race that we're running, and we'll finish a little bit maybe about what God might be saying. Jesus, um, he says to Peter in Matthew 16, 18, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God is about the business and commitment of building a house made up of those devoted to Jesus. There's no other schematic. There's no other alternative building plans. This one building of people belonging to him, that is what he is going for. That is what he gave his son for. And um, God is no slack when it comes to building something. There are no shortcuts, no cheap materials. God has a commitment to quality. He wants to build well. That is what it is to make disciples. It's a commitment to building well. And one of the beautiful ways that God builds is in team. That's what we witness in his relationship with Father, Son, Spirit, and the Trinity. 
That is what we see in his relationship with us. God calls us into partnership with him to build with him. You know, when the temple is first constructed, God calls upon the services of incredibly gifted people in craftsmanship, in workmanship, to construct and beautify this place where the presence of God would dwell according to God's plans. That is what it is to be a part of making disciples of all nations. It's a loving commitment for us with what we have to offer to build in partnership with him with the quality that he desires. And what about that, you know, that race that we're running? If we come back to what I shared at the start and the race that, <laughs> the race that I ran and experience I had, I want to read to you this scripture. 1 Corinthians 2.9, where we, we were praying together this morning. 1 Corinthians 2.9, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. There was a sense that we kind of, we cast our mind to eternity what God has prepared for those who love him. But there's also things that we experience here in the now that God has prepared for those who love him. God has given us this race to run. And it's something that we are to run as individuals, but we're also to do together as a church family. And we can, we can prepare for that race but ultimately, we cannot begin to perceive what we may encounter when we're running. What we thought might be concrete and flat ends up being hilly and rough. Equally, what we thought might be tough on approach ends up being a downhill coast with the wind at your back. As, as excited and as passionate as we can be about running, spiritually, we need to be prepared that as we run this race of life together, we're going to encounter things that we were not prepared for. But have you ever considered that all of these moments, the joys and the sorrows, the hills and the flats, the challenges and the breakthroughs, they're all part of God's commitment to making disciples of all nations. Disciples of a rich, quality build that are able to endure. The race is a mission to the destination it's a race to your neighbor. It's a race to your church family. It's a race to the nations. Let me invite the worship team. Can we stand together? I want to say, in the unprepared moments, God might be doing infinitely more than you might ask or think in order to bring about to completion the making of disciples of all nations. I want to cast our mind and just think, you know, who would have thought we would be where we are as a church family right now. Over the course of the last two years, God has opened the door to church growth across communities that we were, I would say at best, semi-prepared for. We have been stretched as ones, enlarging our borders and stretching our tent pegs. But the difference is, it's a stretching that God has called us to do. And there's, hard, you know, there's been hard parts of that race, but there's also been absolutely beautiful parts of that race. 
The only thing I believe that we need to be resolved in together is a commitment to getting the race done. There's a destination ahead. There's more road to come, but we want to be prepared as much as we can be, but we can't see it all. What we do know is that we carry a mission together, and it's a mission to our neighbor. It's a mission to our family. It's a mission to the nations. And I believe you know, that God would have us resolved to getting it done. So as we come together in worship, I'm just going to pray. And I'm conscious that God actually may stir our heart regarding neighbors. There'll be some people that you potentially have, uh, you know, looked the other way at, you know. <laughs> Those in close, close proximity to you, you've looked the other way. I thought, actually, you know, I just don't want to engage with that. And... Um, I believe, you know, God is speaking to us about be resolved to get it done. Be resolved to get it done. Scatter that seed into that person's life. You might think they might be your enemy, but God is seeing them for who they can be in Christ. Um, When it comes to regarding church family, I just want to call out veterans... Veterans, you are there because not only can you take care of your own race, but you can start seeing the value and the blessing in helping others in theirs. God would call you to resolve yourself to help get the job done. Help these other people in the race. Be the Priscilla's and Aquilla's that help draw alongside those people, even if they've got loads of gifting in their locker, to draw alongside and just explain more accurately the word of God. And regarding nations, and I think, you know, God would prepare our hearts that the blessing that he gives to us as a church family is not meant to remain here, but it is to overflow, spill out, and go out. God has a heart to the ends of the earth. We have a part to play in that. Don't be surprised when God gives us the opportunity to do just that, whether it's through the way that we build from village to village or town to town, whether it's the way that God brings nations to us or it's the way that people we respond to supporting people with a specific call to the nations. Either way, we have a part to play. And we just want to bring all that before God, Lord, and just say, Father, we're resolved to getting it done. We realize that the race at times can be thrilling, and sometimes the race can be terrifying. Lord, we want to prepare for as much as we want, as we can, but we also understand that we can't prepare for anything. The rest we're going to entrust to you. Lord, that you are about the business and process of making disciples of all nations. That is a rich, quality build. You're the one who's the maker. You've got no plan B. We're going to trust you with plan A. And thank you for making us part of it. So as we worship, as we come together and point ourselves back, there might be, there might be some people who, uh, who feel a prophetic deposit around a neighbor, around families, around nations. 
God might be speaking about some of those things. I want to be sensitive to that. And so if you feel that you might have something to say that God is, wants to bring you some sort, you know, wants to bring an encouragement to the church, then come find Alice, come find me, and, and we'll make that as part of our offering to, of worship to God. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.